Welcome to Farcast. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. Sunny and warm all over the country this week, particularly in the East Coast. Boy, get a cold towel around your neck and keep that air conditioning uh, humming. It's not a good time to be outside. It's been a little sweltery in the markets, too. Not a good kind of sweltery, exactly. After we said, you know, on the forecast last week, we talked about markets that have drifted lower since that June 15th date when the president first announced his uh, tariffs again and stocks really started to move lower. This coming uh, Friday, July the 6th, is a big day. We've got $34 billion in tariffs uh, going to hit 18, uh, 818 uh, Chinese goods uh, as of this Friday if nothing goes unchanged. Markets have gotten a little bit weaker. The Dow Jones Industrial Average still hovering north of 24,000. S&P still hovering north of 2,700. NASDAQ coming into this holiday, 4th of July, uh, was a bit lower, almost by a full percent lower. Some of the FANG stocks giving up a little bit more than they have in the past. Interest rates, uh, I've been uh, encouraging all of the listeners of the forecast to keep a close eye on um, the two to 10 year spread. It's as narrow as it's ever been. So the yield, but uh, the difference in the yield on the 10 year treasury and the two year treasury is now three tenths of 1%. If the two-year Treasury goes higher, that has been a reasonably successful, consistent uh, predictor of uh, recession. In fact, nine out of the last 13 times, 13 times it occurred when that shorter yields went higher than the longer yields, we've gone into recession. So keep a close eye. The Fed is increasing short-term interest rates um, and we have to see what happens with those longer-term rates. We're going to talk with Kenny Polcari. We have a great show for you this week. We have my friend Kenny Polcari. He's going to join us in just a second. We have the brilliant Dan Mahaffey from the Center uh, for the uh, study of the presidency um, and Congress uh, and our number uh, number number three uh, third segment special guest uh, is the uh, remarkably gifted and bright Andy Kaiser been on the House Intelligence Committee was part of the transition team uh, for national security for President Trump we're going to talk international with Mr. Kaiser I can't wait this is a great show coming up remember that on the forecast we believe that money is hard to make we believe that old-fashioned research hard work discipline and patience are the keys to successful investing. And finally, we believe all times and everywhere that emotion is the foe of the long-term investor. So if you're feeling fearful or ebullient or that you just have to do something about your portfolio, please don't. Please stop. Take a deep breath. Go out. Walk the dog. Walk the cat. It'll take you a little more time. And uh, and get some good, solid advice because emotion will not help you. Uh, If you really want help, listen to my friend Kenny Polcari. Kenny Polcari is a managing director at O'Neill Securities and head of floor operations. He has been on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange since God used to wear short pants. He's that old. It's been that long. He's handsome. He's articulate. He's dashingly debonair. And he's my dear friend, much older than I am, Kenny Polcari. Kenny, at the beginning. 
beginning of a quarter uh, here. What is it next that we're going to see that's going to take share prices higher or lower over the next 30 days? So what we're waiting here for is you want to get through July 6th. So you want to get through the rhetoric and through the tariff, right? And then the focus is once again going to turn to the fundamentals in this country, both uh, the economic numbers as well as the earnings reports, which start the week after next. And so people are going to pay very close attention to what the CEOs and CFOs say about the future. They don't care so much about the earnings because the earnings are history, right? We already expect the earnings to be good. Uh, Even though they've been somewhat modified, they're still going to be good. What people and investors should be and will be listening to is what the CEOs and CFOs say about what the tariff impact is going to have on their businesses or not. And so, therefore, that's what's going to drive really the, the action amongst sectors, right? You can expect industrial names will get hurt, steel names will get hurt, potentially autos will get hurt. But tech, which is unaffected by these tariffs, will not get hurt. So that may be a place of safety, right? You may see more money, even more money move into the tech space. You might see more money move into some of these value stocks that have really gotten beaten up ahead of the tech play. Now, these stocks now become a value play. Uh, certainly, we're seeing that in retail. You're seeing that in some of the consumer staple names. Um, and so, therefore, I suspect uh, I suspect that's what you're going to see over the next 30 days. But it's all going to be really driven by the fundamentals and the earnings reports. One final question. Yep. Uh, I think that have we seen a peak in investor and CEO level uh, executive sentiment? Is that starting to turn negative as a result of the tariffs? And what does that have, mean? No, I don't necessarily think it's going to turn negative. I think there'll be certainly some negative some negative sentiment around specific industry sectors that are going to be much more impacted by the tariffs if, in fact, they are imposed. I'm still of the belief that there's going to be an 11th-hour deal, and there'll be a softening of rhetoric, and so therefore you'll see a relief in the market. You won't see the pressure. But if there is not, if the rhetoric heats up and the tariffs are imposed, then you'll see the sectors that are more impacted. But the sectors that are not become the defensive play, right? So you'll see money going into the sectors that are less affected by any imposition of tariffs. Really great stuff from my friend Kenny Polcari, a pro's pro if there ever has one. We're going to be right back with segment two. Thanks for staying with us. We'll be right back on the Farcast. You're listening to Farcast. This portion of the Farcast is brought to you by Far Miller and Washington Investment Council. Investment Council means we work for you. Our advice is tailored to you and to your needs and to reach your investment goals. At Farmiller in Washington, we believe money is hard to make, and we're going to work hard to keep it working for you. Now more with Michael Farr and the Farcast. Welcome back to the Farcast. We're so glad to have you with us again this week for yet another episode of the Farcast. We thank you very much for carrying us around in your earbuds, in your cars, and in your homes. It's a great pleasure to be there with you on your PCs and laptops uh, and and iPads. This is terrific. We thank you very much. We appreciate the notes you've sent us uh, from all over the country and even a few places around the world. It's, It's really cool, the reach that we're having, and we appreciate you being with us. Okay, you know that we talk markets uh, typically with Kenny Polcari in segment one, and now uh, the expert's expert on what's going on on Capitol Hill and analyzing that information, what it's going to mean to markets is our great friend uh, and political analyst, Dan Mahaffey. Uh, Dan is uh, is at the Center for the Study of the Presidency in Congress. It's a Washington think tank. 
Uh, he holds uh, two degrees, undergraduate and master's degree from Georgetown University in security. Uh, he studied in China. I mean, he's just he's just the insider's ultimate insider. Uh, really smart. And he's actually a pretty funny guy, too. Uh, so, Dan, we have a lot to talk about. Welcome back to the Farcast. Thank you, Michael. Good to be back. Yes, indeed. Lots going on this week. So we've had uh, we've had a Supreme Court uh, resignation. We have uh, lots of go- uh, we've got tariffs uh, coming up. I mean, lots going on. Let's Dan, let's start with the court. Uh, tell me what you think. Uh, tell me what we should be paying attention to there. Well, certainly for any political science nerd like myself, an open seat on the Supreme Court uh, is one of those great things that comes up, although it's almost lost in the the din that we've had of all the other political uh, events going on right now. Uh, but it's worth remembering that this is a, a certainly a uh, uh, proves the success of Majority Leader McConnell's and the GOP strategy uh, going back to 2016, uh, not only with the uh, holding open the seat of Antonin Scalia till after the election, uh, that list of uh, justices prepared by the Federalist Society uh, with conservative bona fides that really invigorated the GOP base. Uh, I think it was a factor that drew in a lot of people who were uh, perhaps reticent uh, to vote for Trump, but wanted a GOP uh, hand at the tiller when it came to court nominations. Uh, and now we have uh, the 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 effort that they did to get uh, Anthony Kennedy to feel comfortable with retiring uh, right now. And we'll have a uh, an open seat with a very evenly divided Senate. Um, and it's going to come down to some some key senators. OK, so you, you brought up a couple of really, really important points I want to ask you about. So, first of all, McConnell put off the vote, right? And we ended up with Neil Gorsuch uh, in, in, in on the court now. Uh, how will the Democrats not push back to hold this up until after the election when the when it's expected that the House will go to a Democratic majority? Uh, well, so it'll be more important to follow the Senate because that's where the uh, the confirmation will take place. Um, and that will stay evenly yep. split. And and frankly, too, in the uh, when you're in the minority in the Senate, and particularly now that we've watered down the filibusters, we only need uh, simple majorities here. Um, it's only going to it really as as the minority, you can just sit and watch um, as as McConnell will set the floor agenda. And what we need to look at is obviously you have the the senators who are uh, running for reelection in states that Trump carried. Uh, some of them did support Gorsuch, although um, replacing Scalia with a conservative uh, is a different calculus than replacing uh, Kennedy, considered more moderate, uh, with a conservative. Um, but we'll also see, you know, certainly uh, senators who, um, you know, don't agree with President Trump on every issue. Um, senators uh, uh, Murkowski and Collins uh, will be important in terms of reproductive rights uh, and where they stand on those issues. Um, also, too, Senator, uh, you know, the challenge with Senator McCain with his uh, ongoing cancer treatment. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Senators Corker and Flake, where there's very little love lost between them and the White House, um, also have a pivotal role to play uh, when it comes to this uh, this uh, confirmation process. So this gets done. Do you think this gets done before the election? I think we'll have to see who they go uh, with. They've gone uh, they've interviewed, I believe, as of today, four candidates. Um, on their list, uh, you know, the one key 
um, figure here. I'm, I'm looking at the uh, names right now because I don't want to get any uh, incorrect. Um, but uh, one that's drawing a lot of attention is Judge uh, Amy Coney Barrett of the Seventh Circuit. Uh, she was already confirmed by the Senate. Um, and what was interesting there was that uh, certainly some of the Democrats tried to make uh, some of her personal beliefs and her Catholic faith uh, an issue during her confirmation. And all that served to do was actually unite a lot of the Republicans behind her um, at the time. So I, I'm pen, I'm holding off judgment on uh, how quickly this goes uh, until we have a name. Um, but my gut feeling is that it will not go smoothly as, as Gorsuch did, um, given that we are in the election cycle uh, and the stakes, uh, particularly for the Democratic base, are much higher um, with it replacing uh, Kennedy's vote rather than Scalia's vote. Well, well, Scalia was a Catholic, right? Correct. Yes. I mean, and then Scalia was, and, and Gorsuch is not. Well, correct? Gorsuch, uh, Gorsuch, interestingly, baptized Catholic, I believe, practices Episcopalian, um, and so when right. when he was replaced, there there was a which is very close, right? Very I mean, close. That's, I mean, that's that's, that's Robin, fairly, William, very, Robin very Williams close. called it diet Catholicism, um, but there is. <laughs> I like that a lot. I. My, I had a very good friend. I went to an Episcopal. I went to Jesuit high school in an Episcopal college. I went to the. Uh, I went to Gonzaga, uh, College High School in Washington D.C. And then I went to the University of the South in Sewanee, Tennessee, which was an Episcopal uh, school. I got to tell you. So I'm going to go off on a tangent. One of the old Jesuits came up and tried to talk me out of going uh, to this school and told me I had to go to Boston College or Georgetown where there would be more Jesuits to make sure that I wouldn't run amok or further amok as the case may have been. But when I told him that I was actually going to go to Sewanee, that I really wanted to go there, it was a beautiful place. He said, all right, young far, you go down there uh, and you go to mass on Sundays and not that Episcopal mass, you go to a real mass. And uh, <laughs> when you talk to those Episcopalians, you answer their questions. And I looked at him and I said, father, are the Episcopalians going to ask me questions? And he said, oh, young far, Episcopalians have lots of questions. <laughs> so, I, 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 actually, I actually met the chaplain at a uh, back. This is back a long time ago, of course. I met the university chaplain at a, a welcome cocktail party for freshmen, which they actually had back then. Uh, and I told him that story. He said, I'm so glad you're here. He's right. I have a lot of questions. <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. Um, okay. So, uh, Amy, I'm sorry, Amy Coney Barrett mm -hmm. uh, is one of the contenders. If you found, and, and don't, don't come up with the visual image here, but if you found a Neil Gorsuch in a dress, uh, would, that, would that candidate make it through the confirmation process quickly and easily? I think there's a, it's a better alternative to it. Uh, if you could find a, uh, a female candidate, um, certainly that would perhaps uh, soothe a lot of the... Uh, the conscience issues that uh, Senators Murkowski and Collins have, although I'm not going to go so far as to say that they, they would uh, be successfully soothed by simply uh, pandering and, and putting a female candidate on there. Um, but I do also, uh, you know, as we're talking about the Supreme Court, I'll never forget when the uh, Chicago Bar Association Christmas musical, uh, and I won't inflict my singing skills on you, but uh, reminded us that uh, who controls a woman's right to choose six Catholics and three Jews? I like that. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, you know, you said something else uh, that was not as funny as that was, uh, but you said you said that they had successfully made Justice Kennedy comfortable. 
about retiring. Tell us what you meant by that. What are what 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 do our listeners? What should our listeners hear? How do you make Justice Kennedy? How do you make anybody comfortable mm-hmm. to leave a seat like the Supreme Court? Well, it was a, a long process of socializing that they were going to respect some of the uh, the, the positions he'd taken on the court when looking for a replacement. Uh, that some of the uh, judges and jurists who had been uh, former clerks of his would be on the short list. Uh, a long process, uh, as reported by some newspapers, but also from the uh, the White House Counsel's Office, uh, Don McGahn, who we have to. Uh, look at as the uh, as the quarterback on this entire process, uh, making sure that uh, that Justice Kennedy would feel that his legacy uh, would be in in good hands, uh, given whoever they would uh, nominate to replace him. And that did it. I, it did, and I think uh, you know. Apparently, it did it. It did, too, and uh, you know, certainly too that uh, that Justice Kennedy, uh, I believe, eighty one or eighty two. Um, certainly wanting to uh, enjoy the, the later years of his life. Uh, I, hopefully there will be many of them. Um, and, and close this, uh, this page, uh, this chapter on his uh, service to our country. Okay. Uh, in our last few minutes here, Dan, we do have the election coming up uh, in November. Uh, do, you, do you think the let, – let, let's talk about tariffs first because I, mm-hmm. I, I do want to ask you before we go whether you think that the math has changed at all. Uh, in the past week or so. But um, as we come into tariffs, I was kind of shocked to see that um, 60% of all U.S. soybean exports go to China. 60% of all U.S. soybean exports. Now, soybean exporters kind of are at the uh, heart of President Trump's uh, party, core base, if, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? They are. And a lot of it is uh, when we look at it broadly, rural America, where, um, you know, frankly, they they are solidly Republican to uh, begin with as well. But we'll have to watch and see uh, do some of the uh, the financial issues that are the the effects uh, on farmers, on rural America that come from tariffs. uh, Does that affect any of the calculus in this election? Um, So many of these districts are so strongly Republican to begin with. Um, that and you know a lot of these farmers, even though they're taking the hit in their wallet, still uh, in the stories we see have faith uh, in the president's strategy so far. Um, but we'll have to see what that uh, looks like once there's actually that uh, the financial pain. Um, what I think is interesting, you know, tra- and the president says, oh, "Go ahead, I'm sorry." Well, well, I think what will be interesting to track is where this is actually affecting uh, more of the swing districts, suburban areas, uh, some areas with manufacturing where. Uh, our manufacturing that's higher up the value chain is actually affected by the uh, the change in prices and the raw materials that we're seeing from these tariffs. Um, those will all be areas where there's going to be uh, a greater impact. Um, and then, uh, you know, as we also look, you know, beyond tariffs, um, just the the excitement among uh, young voters that we don't normally see in midterms, um, and I think they're looking to factors beyond tariffs. Uh, to motivate them, uh, you know, more their ongoing complaints and dislike of how the uh, how the Trump administration has been handling things. So the uh, the youths are getting energized here. Yes, uh, latest poll had them up uh, up around sixty percent, uh, saying that they would definitely vote, um, which is up uh, significantly, more than double from the twenty fourteen. In this midterms. November election. In this November election, sixty percent. Um, and usually you can look at youth wow, turnout in, young people. in midterms, and uh, and it comes down to <laughs> teens and 20s, but this is going to be much higher. 
Um, at least the the polls are indicating that. Um, we'll have to see if that you know the president if that momentum carries through till November. Yeah, you know the president has said uh, though that these other countries he, he keeps saying don't worry about these tariffs. Other countries are calling saying they want to make a deal. Uh, we'll see. But um, yeah, it appears the uh, the it, Europeans it, and the Chinese are calling each other to make a make a deal uh, about <laughs> a, against us. So uh, you know when against you're us. yeah when you're getting Brussels Maybe and Beijing calling us to make a yeah, deal. when when you're getting Brussels and Beijing on the same side, um, we have to have a little pause about uh, our trade approach. I think. You still think that the House swings to the Democrats in November really quickly? I'd still do. I think the the, the awesome. trends, the the swing districts are all, and the enthusiasm gap uh, still can't be overcome. Dan Mahaffey, you're the best. There are none better out there. Thank you so much for being with us again this week. Please stay with us again in the third segment. Uh, We're coming right back on the forecast. We're going to talk to Andy Kaiser, 14 years on Capitol Hill, House Intelligence Committee. He did the transition team and national security for the President Trump uh, or administration. Uh, This is one of the smartest guys we get to talk to. Uh, Stay with us. We're going to be right back on the forecast. You're listening to Forecast. Welcome back to the Forecast. I am Michael Farr on a balmy, warm day all around the country, particularly on the East Coast and especially warm in Washington, D.C. Never really cools off when you're on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Lots to pay attention to, not only in Washington, but around the world. And, of course, we do three segments on the forecast. We do what's going on on Wall Street. We do what's going on in Washington with our great friend Dan Mahaffey. And now, what's going on around the world, and how is Washington interacting, and how are we playing with the other children in the sandbox at this point, Uh, and how that will all affect Wall Street and our investors' pocketbooks and our investing decisions. Joining us now, this is so exciting, we've got Andy Kaiser uh, joining us on the forecast. It is a great honor and privilege to have Andy with us. He spent 14 years on Capitol Hill on the working at the House Intelligence Committee for the Chairman Mike Rogers. He was senior advisor to that committee, chief of staff, legislative director, uh, handling cybersecurity. He did the Trump transition uh, team as the senior uh, security, uh, senior advisor, security senior advisor uh, to the uh, that uh, early phase, transition phase of the Trump White House. An expert's expert, Bachelor of Arts from Michigan State, Uh, University and a master's degree from the United States Naval War College. I mean, this guy is the man. Okay, so first and foremost, Andy Kaiser, welcome to the Farcast. Nice to be on with you, Michael. Sounds like I couldn't keep a job from that uh, description. I don't know. A 14-year run, uh, Andy, is a, it sounds like pretty good stability to me. I mean, you're not like these kids who, you know, it's every two and a half years you see. You know, I, that, that, I think that resume holds up pretty well. All right. Pretty if well. you say so. Uh, I, I, well, you know, so tell us, uh, Andy, I'm, I'm watching, you know, the world stage here, and I'm thinking about that terrific um, theater that we watched between Kim Jong-un and President uh, Donald Trump. Uh, tell us what we should take from that now, weeks later. Uh, how much difference did it make? I just read over the weekend where satellite images show that a, some sort of nuclear testing facility uh, is expanding its footprint in North Korea. So what is going on with North Korea, Andy? 
Well, Michael, I think we're in, you know, maybe step four of a marathon with this uh, denuclearization process. And, of course, we're dealing with a, a regime who's, uh, you know, made a become experts in obfuscation and um, in denial and deception. Of, Are you talking about North Korea? Of the, you know, <laughs> the North Koreans of their of their affairs, particularly the most sensitive uh, thing and perhaps the only thing going in their country, which is their nuclear weapons program. So, um, you know, for those of us that keep a close eye on this, I would have been more surprised if this went smoothly. I think this is going to be a very, you know, topsy-turvy uh, process that takes two steps forward and, and maybe one back, sometimes three sideways. Um, but going forward, uh, you know, Secretary Pompeo has announced he'll be uh, in the region uh, that later this week. And, you know, we'll see where that goes. He needs, in my view, he does need to come back with something a little more tangible than a, you know, two-page piece of paper filled with sort of uh, pleasantries and uh, pretty soft on the commitment side. So, so now we know what, we sort of know what the president and uh, Kim Jong-un uh, said and, uh, or didn't say, but now with secretary, with the secretary of state uh, going to meet with Kim Jong-un, what does the agenda look like for a meeting? What might the agenda look like for a meeting like that? What sort of reception do you think Secretary Pompeo receives? I mean, is this where Kim Jong-un really uh, gets a little more uh, uh, bare-knuckled in these conversations? You know, we'll see. that They will have to get down to a little more of the, the nitty-gritty than I think has been done in the past. This will be the you know third or fourth time uh, that the two have met, so I suspect they're uh, developing something of a, of a relationship and understanding of the other's uh, style. Um, but, you know, I think the first thing for us to look for is a declaration. We might not know this in the public domain, but the two governments to have a mutual understanding for what exactly the North Koreans have pretty hard to verify a denuclearization if we don't have a full accounting of, of what they have. So that'll be step one. And the key there is, um, do they uh, declare things that we know exist but are not in the public domain? Um, that'll be a first sign of, of good faith uh, on behalf of the North. Okay. And so basically we need to try and figure out what we have. Do you think that that's enough of an agenda? I mean, does that, is that what uh, Secretary Pompeo will try and accomplish on this trip? I think that's the first and most important step. Uh, from there, you work backwards on starting, you know, if, if everyone agrees to what the bad stuff is, we can come around a process for, for how we, we get rid of it, um, which, you know, is, it will take many months, if not, if not years, most suspect. If you were a betting man, Andy, and that, by the way, um, on TV and radio is, is the beginning of all very dangerous questions. Uh, but if you were a betting, if you were a betting man, uh, does anything material get resolved with this nuclear program out of North Korea, or is this just going to be something that goes on for years? Well, I'm a Detroit Lions fan, so I'm definitely careful on wagering. <laughs> events. Um, you know, I think any objective observer would have to look at the situation and say it's unlikely that uh, a, a, you know, the world's most isolated regime gives up the only piece of leverage that it has uh, voluntarily. Um, but that said, perhaps they've made a calculation that 
you know, the regime can't stay in power by um, simply pulling the wool over their citizens' eyes in a, you know, 21st century that is so connected that perhaps uh, word is getting out that uh, others uh, live a little better than the folks who happen to be starving in North Korea or the 200,000 political prisoners that are rotting in labor camps. So, you know, that is one possibility, but certainly 70-year history of uh, three generation of Kim uh, tells us uh, to be awfully skeptical. If you were, and I'm going to move on, but if you were uh, the Secretary of State, if, if, if the country were ever so fortunate that we were sending Secretary of State Kaiser over to North Korea, and you were going to spend your time, go through the conversations, and then call the president and say, here's what we just accomplished, Mr. President. What would you like to say? What would you like to accomplish if you were uh, Pompeo? Well, you know, I think probably this this accounting is is the biggest takeaway. Um, well, first, my, my mom would be so excited if that occurred. But um, other than, other than that, Do you want me to call her. <laughs> yeah. I can call her. She gets ex- she'll be very excited for this podcast. Um, so I think that's the real tangible. Everybody thing. is. Yeah, I'm sure. So um, you know, what do they? Because they're today there is no public accounting, and in fact. Um, a couple of the sites that had been out of the public domain on the nuclear side have now entered the domain, courtesy of uh, a couple of our nation's finest newspapers. Huh. But um, so, you know, certainly our intelligence community has a sense for what they have, where it is, what it looks like. But this is the we say in the intelligence business, this is a, the hardest of hard targets there are. Uh, very difficult to, to collect on a hermit kingdom um, that has very little travel in and out, um, particularly of, of Americans. So, Why is it so hard? I mean, don't we have satellites? I mean, aren't we tapping the phones? Can't we? I mean, don't we have a a, a lot of technology that could give us some pretty good insight. I don't. I, I'm just stupid. I, I, why? Why? What is it about North Korea that's so hard, um, uh, given our technology? Well, they're not a particularly connected. Uh, society. So there's one impediment. Um, another, is, as I mentioned, is just a lack of Americans traveling to and from that, you know, occasionally offer little tidbits or occasionally make new friends that um, can later be exploited. Uh, very difficult in the North. Um, I think it's the, the hardest target uh, that we have on the planet. Interesting. Okay, so this is very, I got that. So this is a real challenge. Let's shift over to China for a couple of minutes. What about the trade talks? We have these tariffs coming on 818 Chinese goods as of this Friday. All things don't change by this Friday. An additional $34 billion. um, And uh, this seems to be making some folks nervous. I mean, we export 60% of all of our soybeans exports go to China. So, I mean, the retaliations could could we could feel some of their retaliation if they really ramp things up yes sure for sure um you know i i'm i'm more focused on the national security side of some of the uh you know the uh, sanctions that have come down in that regard or limitations particularly zte and and on that side i would say you know the administration has it a, a thousand percent right if they if, particularly if they stick to their uh, guns or the hill forces them to. Um, I mean, here you have essentially arms of the Chinese Communist uh, Party 
building out infrastructure, telecommunications infrastructure around the world, including uh, some of our best allies, where if the trend line continues, there will be no Western vendors of, of that equipment. The only option will be a Chinese option of a company that has at least, uh, the last accounting, two of the members of their boards of directors are Communist Party committee members, and two of their largest investors fit that same bill. Wow. Wow. Can you tell me, I, I, I've, this has been puzzling to me, because uh, everything I've heard about ZTE says that they really are very bad actors uh, in terms of honoring anybody else's technology or rights. or, or, or uh, And yet the president seems to uh, use them as the, the company um, where we're going to you know, offer the peace pipe somewhere, and Congress didn't like that idea at all. What is the president doing, and why ZTE? Why is he? Why does he seem to be willing to have a conversation about that company, of all companies? Right. Well, from the public reports, it sounds as if uh, President Xi uh, uh, called and asked, um, and so the president perhaps thought he had a bit of a bargaining chip. Though I, I almost uh, think this might be the best of both worlds for the president, where he could say. You know, listen, I negotiated in good faith. I threw you a lifeline, even though you violated. You know, let's not forget ZTE is in trouble for violating U.S. sanctions laws by selling very sensitive telecommunications equipment to Iran and North Korea. Um, so this isn't some minor violation. Um, but I think he can he can go to the Chinese and say, you know, I've acted in good faith. I tried to, you know, throw you a lifeline um, and that darn Congress got in my way and, you know, uh, yanked out the deal from under us. Sorry about that. Um, so, Andy, uh, in our last minute or so here, as we look on the uh, out at the horizon of our uh, of our international policy um, and what the uh, uh, administration is trying to accomplish uh, diplomatically around the world. What's the next headline? Are we going to go back to Iran? Does North Korea just kind of get quiet again? Where's the next focus? Is, is, are we going to be back with a, a blow up of a NAFTA discussion. Where do you see us going from here? There's not enough crises for you yet, Michael. Um, so I, I think a couple things to pay attention. One, one story I think is incredibly highly underreported right now is the protests going on in Iran. Uh, so back, yes. in, back in 2009, there were very significant protests and um, our government and, and frankly, Congress even really did, didn't say a whole heck of a lot. And they were brutally suppressed and crushed. Um, but some nine years later, they still have the same feelings of of oppression and economic stagnation that took them to the streets the last time. So watching that closely to see, um, you know, if that if that bubbles over or if the, the heavy hand of, of the Iranian mullahs sort of cracks down on that. The other is is Venezuela. I mean, they are, you know, perhaps one more step away from essentially being a failed state at this point. Um, something else to keep a close eye on. And as you mentioned, does NAFTA spi- spiral out of, uh, out of control here later this summer? Plenty to keep us uh, focused and, and perhaps even distracted, uh, but lots of busy work uh, for the uh, administration, the Department of State, the Secretary. Uh, and Andy Kaiser says keep an eye on Iran and Venezuela. Our listeners always learn so much on the forecast when we're able to have brilliant, brilliant contributors come on and talk to us like you, Andy. I can't thank you enough for joining us. You're a terrific guest, and I hope you'll come back soon. Nice to be on with you. I think you must have been talking about Dan, though. <laughs> <laughs>
(laughs) (laughs) Not at all. Andy Kaiser uh, is the man. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for listening and joining us on another Farcast. If you think you've heard a recommendation to buy or sell any security on the Farcast, you haven't. We don't do that here. If you're thinking about changing uh, your portfolio in any way, your asset allocation, stocks, bonds, anything else, Please don't. We don't make those sort of recommendations. We don't give that sort of advice. If you think you should do it, please go check with your financial advisor, an expert, a CPA, somebody. Get some good advice and some help. Or give us a call at Farr, Miller, and Washington, farmiller.com. We'd be happy to help you. I have some wonderful people at our firm, very experienced, uh, very expert, and very kind. I think you'll enjoy talking to them, and they'd love to help you. Thank you so much again for joining us. Another week, three fabulous segments and a wonderful episode of the Farcast. Please join us again next week. I am Michael Farr.